Buenos días. Good morning. Well, it seems like uh, kind of hard to preach after all that. Um, it's just beautiful to see uh, children coming to the Lord. I remember I met Nathan about five years ago. He came to our Mother's Day Out program. And actually his mom helped, I mean, she worked with that program, right? And so I remember the first time I saw him, he was crying. Uh, so he, he was in the room crying. So I came speaking Spanish and his eyes went like this. <laughs> amigo, amigo, friend, he says. <laughs> and he went in my leg. <laughs> I wanna go home. <laughs> and, I, and I walked like this and he, <laughs> And he did not want to let me go. And then I, you know, I, I calmed him down. I went back to my office. And about five minutes uh, late, later, he came to my office. Amigo, amigo, where are you? <laughs> he, was, he was looking for me. So you see how, how the Lord works. And through that ministry, I, I want to thank you, the ladies that work with uh, our sister. The la- and, and there were the, you know, the teachers of Nathan through those years. And they set out that foundation for me then to come and, and, and share the gospel with them. And I baptized them a few years ago. And now I see uh, Arnulfo baptizing his kid. Isn't that beautiful? Yes, just give him a hand. And thinking about that, uh, there are, you know, there are several reasons why Christians uh, have difficulties sharing the gospel. Uh, and one of the various that appears over and over in surveys and conversations that, that I have with people, they say, listen, it's just, I don't, I don't really know how to articulate my faith. And, and some people have a difficulty, a hard time sharing the gospel in a non-intimidating way. Let's put it that way. And so, uh, so let's say if you are in an airplane and you're going to be seated with somebody for the next 40 minutes, an hour, or whatever. And, you know, it takes time to warm up. But if you have 30, 40 minutes to talk to someone about your faith, are you ready to do that? Sometimes we're, you know, we, we, we pray, well, the, the, the Lord will give me words. You know, and the, the Bible says that. Uh, but that's in a different context. When the Bible talks about that, it's in the context of being, when they, they were, the disciples were taken to jail and, People were asking about their faith. Jesus said, you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit will come generally as an outreach minister and as something that I have a passion for, which is evangelism. I will suggest to you guys that you need to have something already in mind, uh, and that will make things a little bit easier for you if you kind of, because sometimes, you, you know, we have so much knowledge, right? We have been in church for so long, and sometimes it's really hard to to choose and to, you know, what to say. I believe stories are probably the easiest and most effective ways to share the gospel. The question is, well, there are so many, you know, which will I want to choose. So today I'm going to suggest one of the most well-known uh, parables in the Bible. And this is a story that is not commonly used for, for evangelistic purposes. Uh, and and you know, I'm referring to the parable of the prodigal son. 
But before I get into, into the message, I, I will just want to do a quick survey. If you have to choose the main theme of this parable, the main purpose of this parable, the main story, which one would you choose? Is this a story of two sons, the obedient one and the disobedient one? Is this a story of the son of a rich man that squandered all his inheritance in wild living? Viviendo la vida loca, you know how that goes. The story of an unforgiving brother or the story of the unconditional love of a father. If you have to choose, choose one, tell me with, show me with your finger. Number one, number three, number four. I think you saw the title in, my, in, the, in, the, in the bulletin. Yeah. Usually, if you go with the title of the, of the parable, the prodigal song, somebody who hasn't, you know, doesn't spend time reading the Bible, they might say it is very common, it's very common to hear Christians say, is this the story of a, of a son that just went crazy? And, and, you know, how he had this wild living and how he came back and his father. So the center is about, the story for many people is about the son. Many, uh, listen to this, many of uh, commentaries and, and um, people that really study the Bible, a lot of them, believe it or not, they believe it's number three. The story of unforgiving brother, and I'm going to show you why. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to, to go that direction. And there are books written about this parable, entire books. And they come to the conclusion that the right answer is number three. This morning, I'm going to challenge you to change the idea and go with number four. The story of the unconditional love of a father. The title that, you know, you open your, your Bible, you happen to have your Bible, you open your Bible and look chapter 15, uh, you want to see uh, in, many, in some Bibles, you, you see, you know, three different parables there, and, and it's, you know, it's called the parable of the lost son, and some Bibles says the parable of the prodigal son. Um, but again, if you, if you read just the first verse of the parable, 1511, Luke uh, 1511, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. So the actual Bible is telling me, Jesus is telling us, this is the story of who? A father who had two sons. It's not the story of the son. I don't, even though he, he plays a big role, his brother plays a big role, and his brother had a lot to do with what was going on here, but... Even the, 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 if you look at the, the story, uh, he says there was a man who had two sons. Number one. Number two, you find that the word father it appears 13 times in the story. More than son or sons. 13 times, depending on, on your translation, but it's about uh, 13 times. 
And also, it's interesting. It's very interesting how people from different cultures will will understand uh, the reading of the scripture, the reading of the story. If you were paying attention to the reading, I don't have time, obviously, to read it again. Uh, but if you ask people in the United States, or let's say the Western world, uh, Europe, Western countries in Europe, and you know. Canada and America, if you ask them, why did the prodigal son, son came back home, home? Why he returned? What do you think is the common answer here in America? You, you just said it. He said he ran out of money, right? Because in this culture, if you have no money, you're toast, right? No money, no life. And money is everything. Well, there was a survey done in Russia, and they are not Western necessarily. They, they come from a different culture. And when they ask the same question, they say that he came back home because there was a famine. Did you read that in the story? And they say he came back home because there was a famine. And if there is a famine, nobody have anything to eat. There is people are not going to have any jobs for you. And that's why he came back home. Yes, he ran out of the, ma the money, but it says it was a, a famine and nobody was giving him anything to eat. And see, since we didn't, this, in this part of the world, we don't go through those huge droughts and huge famines. and We don't think in those terms. For the Russians, boom, that's the first thing that comes to mind because they have gone through a lot of those throughout the years. And they understand how difficult it is to survive when there is not food on the ground, when there is no rain coming down. And nobody, even if you have money, there is nothing you can do for anybody. So it's kind of interesting. So when you look at the, this parable in context, uh, we can easily figure out why Jesus told this story. There are three, three other stories, but they're all about, you know, within kind of the same, the same idea. So that's what I believe is the title of the story. So you see it, it, that there are three stories, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. That's interesting also uh, that the editor of the Bible, even though the story is not about people getting lost only, Again, we, we all always go into the negative of the story. Yeah, the son was lost, but what happened? He was found. And not only he was found, there was a lot of joy. So there is a lot of joy. Just was, something was lost, but the story is that something was lost and it was found. Same with the, the sheep, same with the coin. And so, we, again, one of the reasons that we struggle with, with sharing our faith, we have the tendency to see the negative in the Bible. And people outside of the church have the tendency to see the negative of the Bible. And we need to start making an effort to share the good news. You know what good news means? It's supposed to be good, right? And sometimes... Instead of sharing good news, we're all about bad news. Man, you're, you're out. 
you really need to shape up a little bit, and you're a mess, I mean, your family, and we just talk about how bad people are uh, in general, I mean, I'm talking about anyone in particular, and in and, and Christianity, and so we have that tendency. So, according to Luke, uh, Jesus was prompted to tell these parables because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were accusing him, this is the accusation, they accused him of welcoming sinners and eating with them. And they were mad about that. And you can read that in the first few verses. You know, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him. I'm starting to get old. I'm having a hard time reading that. And, uh, yes, I'm going to go here. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. They were okay with you maybe talking to them because you can just tell them how bad they are, but they had a really big problem because when you eat with people, you're sharing your, the and you're sitting by them, you're touching them, they're touching your stuff, and they're like, wow, they're touching my stuff. And so because of that hatred, Jesus then, and so he told them this parable. And he started with the lost sheep. And he says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country? Listen to that. Leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost Cheap until sheep until he finds it. So let's just think about that. So you are a shepherd, and you usually the shepherd is not the owner of the, the sheep, and so that's your job just to take care of a hundred. One get lost. Are you going to leave ninety nine in the open country to go and get one? Answer that question to yourself, or you can say it. Are you going to leave ninety one? of them to go and search for one? If I am the shepherd, I would say, no way, Jose. <laughs> I run a hole to 99, right? And, and you know, go just preaching today, Jose is back home, so no way, Jose. So I will stay with the 99 because I'd rather pay for one than for 99. So nobody in his right mind will leave 99 sheep in the open country where people can come and steal them, where wild animals can eat them. So what Jesus is trying to say, this is how my father loved every one of you, every one of them. The most insignificant little one that walks like that, that doesn't have an eye, he's going to go after that one. We don't think in those terms because we're capitalists, right? We'd rather stay with 99. We don't care about one. And he said, God cares about the very last one of them. So see that he's teaching us, Jesus is teaching us, God's ways are different than your ways. Amen? And everybody for him... Um, is important. One of the things that we, we need to understand, brothers and sisters, is this, is that God loves sinners. And you hear me right, and it's written up there. God loves sinners. 
And that's what John 3.16 says. That God so loved what? The world. The world is full of what? Saints? People that have it, everything together? Or is the world full of sinners? And so one of the things that sometimes people in the church have a struggle is understanding that God loves the sinners as much as God loves them. But it comes a point in our life where we believe that we have a special relationship with God and, and then God, I'm God's favorite. And because, you know, I'm doing everything so well, I mean, I'm, you know, I clean it up and I don't say my words and my mind is always clean and pure. I never see anybody, any woman. Oh, my goodness, I'm just the whole. And so we think that then God has less love for sinners. But Jesus came to die for sinners, not for the saint. Jesus came to die for the world, not for the church. Jesus is coming back to get the church, right? But he loved sinners. And even in Luke, he said, the Bible says that for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so uh, the question is, if Jesus is all about sinners, and if he loves sinners and he's seeking to save them because they're lost, Shouldn't we be doing the same and have kind of the same, the same attitude? Well, it looks like the, these guys, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they never read Leviticus 19, where it says that you should not hate your brother in your heart, that you, you should not take vengeance, vengeance, and that you should love your neighbor as yourself. But they always had a hard time understanding their neighbor was. And that's where this, the story of the Samaritan, the Samaritan, the good Samaritan comes into the picture. My neighbor is anyone who is near me. Anyone from anywhere. Hispanic or Middle Eastern or African or it doesn't matter where he is from. Southern Mississippi. A New York, New York Yankee fan, all those Yankees. I don't like Yankees, they say. And so we are supposed to love everybody. So there are three points that I want to, I want for you guys to, to take home. I'm going to have to go, go fast over them. Number one, we could assume someone is to be dead, right? There is nothing worse uh, that being dead. And there are two parts in the parable. Jesus says, uh, uh, Jesus said in two times, or the father, when, when his son came back, and I'm going to go, Luke 15, uh, 20, 20, 24. He said, he told the servants, for this son of mine was dead, and he is alive again. But the thing is, he didn't stop there. It's not only about being dead. And then he said, he was lost. And now. So, it's pretty bad to be dead, right? 
but it's worse. There is, it's bad. The worst thing that can happen to any human being is to be lost. Amen? And, and, and so and he said that again when his, the older brother was very mad at the father. Why are you treating this dude like that? He didn't call him brother. He said, your son. Your son came back and you did this and you did that. And he said, 31, Luke 15, 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And that's what a lost person is. Somebody who is away from the Lord. That, has not, that doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours, even though he did not recognize him as a brother, he said, this brother of yours. Those prostitutes, those tax collectors, those sinners, those Gentiles, they are your brothers and sisters. They are my children too. Because this brother of yours was dead in his life, he was lost and is found. Number one, we need to remember that. Number two, many times uh, God's forgiveness is seen by many as condoning. So the prodigal son has insulted not only his father, his brother, <clears throat> and his family, but he was also <clears throat> a complete disgrace to the Jewish, Jewish faith and his community. So according to the Jewish custom, a younger son received only a third of the inheritance, which was usually given at the father's death. So he's telling his father, I don't like if you live or die. Give me my money. I don't care about you. I don't care about your future. Give me my money now. Now he ended up eating, uh, you know, hanging out with, with pigs. I mean, that's a horrible thing for a Jewish person. Eating pig, a pig is, is terrible. And, and eating what they eat and hanging out with them was a horrible thing for a, Jew, a, Jew, a, a Jewish person. That will make you uh, as disgusting as a Gentile for them. So no matter how you read this parable, for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the story was very offensive and extremely, really, really hard to take. Now, I want to do this a little exercise. Put yourself in the Pharisees' shoes. Let's say you have a neighbor, and your neighbor come, comes one day, and he tells, hey, uh, Brother Goyo, Goyo, they say. Goyo is the way it goes. Goyo. Uh, man, I, I need your prayers. My son, he just took every, everything he had. You know, this dad is wealthy. He had good savings account, and he had a really nice car. He had, he's doing pretty well financially, even though he's young. He, he took off. We, we had a discussion. I didn't like the, the friends that he, he has. I didn't like he was coming really late. I would start smelling things in his clothes. And, and you know, he was out of whack. And he got mad at me and he left. And, and that happened about two or three weeks ago. He, he's not calling me. 
Uh, and and I, you know, I'm not on Facebook at all, but I know Andrew is. And Andrew already told me, listen, I seen your son uh, really drunk. I don't know if he was drunk or high, but his eyes were red, and he looked like he was in a different planet. And I saw a few big, I mean, I saw a lot of few women in the background kind of halfway naked with beers in the hand. I mean, it looks like a big celebration. And, you know, my friend Andrew said, I mean, I'm concerned about you, your son. And, and so I want to, you know, I know you, you're a preacher over there at Antioch, and, and can you guys, you know, tell the elders, can you preach, you know. I know I go to a different church down the road, but uh, I'm just worried about my son. And so he's, you know, your, your neighbor is kind of across the street. And guys, every day you go, you know, you go your go to work, and you come back, that house has a really nice southern front porch. And you come back from work every day, and you see that father sitting out there in a rocking chair with his head down, praying for his son. And you see him walking around and, and kind of waiting for his son. You can see that he's worried about his son. And there is no response. And he continues to put now, he, he, you know, his father was trying to talk to him through Facebook. Andrew told him how to do it. He closed that account. Now he's using Instagram. And now he's publishing even videos. Living la vida loca, right? And uh, you probably will remember that more than anything else. It's okay. Um, and then months go by, and one day you're coming from work, and you see in your neighbor's house, front yard, I mean, there are tons of cars even park on top of the driveway because the neighborhood gets bad if you have a lot of cars on the street. So all the friends park the carts on the front lawn, and you see, and then you got worried that, man, some, you're thinking, your heart starts, something happened, something happened here. And as you approach the house, then you start hearing the Macarena, and you start hearing, what? And then it's actually, you start seeing signs of, there is a party going on. And uh, so you go inside the house, and then you ask your wife. I'm not comparing the wife to the servants, but this, the wife is there, of the story of the prodigal son. But you go to the wife and say, hey, what's going on in the neighbor's house? I mean, I see cards, and there is a big party going on. And she said, well, our you know, good neighbor, he came earlier. He said his, his son was, is back. And he, I mean, he's, he threw a party. And that, I mean, they're being, I mean, it's loud, and they have been celebrating. Let me ask you a question. Would you go to that party? Would you go? Do you think is, is, is the father is doing the right thing? Is he condoning sin? Can you, can you feel yourself in the, can you put yourself in the feet of the, in the shoes, I guess, of what you say, not in the feet, but the shoes, of the Pharisees and teachers of the law? It's, hard, it's easy to say, ooh, that we are the same. We're the same because we think, and, and, and the brother said, man, let me ask you this question. Why do you think the son was so mad? He wasn't mad because the brother came back. Actually, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there are provisions for somebody who comes back to the Lord. 
There are provisions for reconciliation. There are ways and there are verses and there are commandments how to, how to, for somebody to get purified again, how to, for somebody to be welcomed back. And I don't think the brother, again, I'm, I'm giving you my own reading, I don't believe the brother was mad that his father accepted his son back. If you read the story, you will hear that the brother is mad because his father threw a big party. Party. A big one. So he was expecting, yeah, okay, my, my brother came, whatever. He came back. Dude, you're going to eat bread and water. That's all you're going to get. And you're going to be dressed with sackcloth. And you're going to be eating yourself. And you're going to beg for forgiveness. And you better don't do anything like that again, dude. Because I'm going to hate you. You make my father suffer so much. And, and so we, and we as parents, we're trying to be, you know, like that. And, okay, you need to, son, you need to gain my trust again. I trusted you. Look what you did. And, and, and so we, in our minds, if we are too gentle, if, if we are too forgiving, if we extend grace, then we're condoning sin. Is that correct or no? Am I wrong? And that's what I'm saying, guys, brothers and sisters. Uh, this is unconditional grace and love. Um, God doesn't see people the way we see it. So you, I'm going to finish with this. I'm going to conclude with this last point. Never forget that Jesus' sacrifice covers all of our sins. All of our sins. We're only one prayer away. We are only one step away from being washed in the blood of Christ. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to prove anything to anyone, even though people might expect that from you. I want to tell you a, a, a personal story. I actually called my brother uh, yesterday or the day before to clarify, make sure that I I'm not, was not saying anything that was not correct. And, you know, ask for permission <coughs> to share this. <clears throat> but a few years ago, four years ago or so, uh, my brother went to the priest. And um, I, grew up, I grew up Catholic, you know that. Everybody in America grew up Catholic, but I, I, I was one of them. And, and so my brother uh, uh, felt that he needed to go to the priest and confess he was carrying a, lot, a big load, and, you know, he called, and the priest said, yeah, you can come. And so he went to the temple, the church building. Uh, as the building, they call it the church, but, you know, he went to the building, he entered, and started talking to the priest. And so he said, listen, I just want to confess that I, my, my first marriage, marriage fell, and I divorced my wife, uh, and I, uh, you know, I, remar I married again. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, again, the, you know, the second ceremony was a, a civil ceremony, uh, but the first ceremony, I mean, his first marriage was at the Catholic Church. And so he told the priest that, you know, that, you know, he wanted to do things right this time, and, and he was carrying that guilt. Um, and, and, the, and the priest... Um, Uh, uh, 
told him, this is what the priest, I mean, he, I talked to him yesterday. So the priest told him that if he knew in advance that he, he divorced his wife after marrying her in the church, he will have not allow him to come inside the church building. Number one. So he was not worthy of entering the temple because he committed that horrendous sin. And he told him that because of his divorce, there was nothing he could do for him. So in the Catholic faith, this is almost the unforgivable sin. Sometimes we do that in the churches of Christ, but that happens there. So he told him that there was no forgiveness for him. He said the only thing he could do for him was to give him, give him some books to read, assign him some community service as a penitent. You know what? Are you familiar with the word penitence? So it's what the, the priest said you have to do to earn your forgiveness. So it could be many prayers. It could be many months doing many things. So the worse the sin is, the more he's going to ask you to do. Oh, boy, but don't get divorced because you're out. And that's what he pretty much told my brother. And, and so my, my brother was about to cry. <clears throat> he, he was shaking. I could hear his voice. I mean, he said, I'm going to hell, pretty much. Um, and, uh, and so the priest said, well, I'm going to give you some community service and just hope for the best. So in other words, there was no forgiveness for him. And, of course, I immediately explained to him what grace means. And I presented to him the message of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a few months later, uh, he got baptized. He was forgiven for his sins, including divorce. Uh, and he has been a Christian since then. He's now, <laughs> he was kicked out of one church but he's now leading communion and, and, and prayer in the, in, the, in the Lord's church, in a different church. And so we, the staff and the elders, <clears throat> we gave the, this, this congregation a, a charge, I guess, a, a new vision and direction. And number one, we need to give God, God glory. And the best way to give God glory is to tell people how much they love them. To tell people it doesn't matter what you have done, how horrible and difficult it is, God can forgive you. And also, we need to give people hope. We can tell people there is forgiveness for you. And if, if Jesus' uh, mission on earth was to seek the lost. I think that needs to be the number one mission for this church and for each one of us. And if God throws an extravagant party, I mean, there is a Macarena party up there in heaven because little Nathan just got baptized. So if God gets, gets so excited and so happy because a lost person is found, shouldn't we feel so happy every single time.
some brother or sister that was lost is now found. So that's my message to you. 10-12, perfect time. May the Lord bless you, keep you. Let's stand and sing. Uh, we'll be here in front if you need to come forward and talk to one of the elders. Or you can walk backwards and talk to one of the elders in the back. It doesn't matter. May the Lord bless you.